0: The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that who have gone through the dark times and through those moments, allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Rick Manzo, and I wanna thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show this podcast is sponsored by empower your reality it's an online university and also a one-on-one and group coaching business that's there to help enlighten to raise the consciousness and help the individual truly thrive in every area of their life we have a new online class that is now available called life mastery. And what this five-week course is all about is teaching you the rules of life, uh, how to create life mastery in your life, how to become the master of your life to thrive and create all that you desire. In this five-week course, we dive deep into spiritual laws, universal laws, quantum physics, neurology, functional neurology, to back up all the concepts that we bring to the table to give you a platform to utilize and to really help grow and expand. Right now, we have a ton of amazing bonuses that are going on while you sign up for the class, and we even offer a two-week money-back guarantee if you don't like the program. To check out more about it, go to www.empoweryourreality.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Vic, and you're on listening to another amazing episode here on The Mindful Experiment, as each week on Fridays, we get a chance to interview someone to share some insight, some wisdom to help you elevate what they're up to, how they're sharing their light with the world, and so much more. In this interview, I got an amazing opportunity to interview Mike Smirklow. And this was a good, good interview in it, you know, from a standpoint of he shared some wonderful, straightforward wisdom. He talks about the monkey that we all have in our minds. I love how he shared it as being a monkey. Uh, there's a lot of power behind that. Um, but he talks about this inner battle. He wrote this book, and he, it, it about the whole monkey aspect, and how to how the monkey and me, Mr. Monkey and me, as it's called, how to really um, the monkey is always changing, and it's smart and it's always learning and evolving like you are, and it's one of the things we always have to face and deal with. Um, talk a little bit about Mike. Mike is a, an experienced entrepreneur, investor and business leader driven by the desire to turn ideas into reality. Having bought and scaled a small business into a publicly traded company worth nearly a billion dollars in value, he has a deep understanding of the hard work, dedication, and grit that truly powers successful entrepreneurship. Today, as the co-founder and managing director of Next Coast Ventures, Smirko is a champion for a new generation of entrepreneurs building descriptive companies in big markets. His new book, Mr. Monkey and Me by Scribe Media, came out this year, November 17th, 2020, is a real talk guide for entrepreneurs who want to cut through the noise to cultivate a mindset that supports greatness. To talk a little bit about his history and his story, he gets into it in the podcast, but. Mike grew up in a blue collar family outside of Toledo, Ohio with dreams of achieving something more with his life. After working his way through college to earn an accounting degree and moving to Chicago to land his CPA career, he eventually talked his way into a junior analysis gig with the Wall Street investment bank, Lehman Brothers. While he hated the job, surviving two years of hellish hundred hour work weeks and countless spreadsheets, Mike had a solid understanding of finance in a company building. He went on to earn an MBA from Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University and experienced Silicon Valley dot com boom as an investment banker at Morgan Stanley. Mike was recruited by legendary entrepreneurs Mark Anderson, Andresen and Ben Horowitz as one of the first employees of the new startup LoudCloud. Here he learned from the very best about what it takes to grow a company from an idea through an initial public offering. And then, then Mike started his own entrepreneurship journey in 2003, purchasing Service Source, a 30-person technology service startup in San Francisco. As CEO for the next 12 years, he grew that into a business, into a successful 3,000-person publicly traded company with close to 300 million in revenue. Mike has done amazing things. He is a guy who talks the talk and walks the walk. You're going to hear that in the in the podcast. We talk about the book and so many other things. So I'm not going to take any more away from Mike here. Here is Mike Smirklow. Well, Mike, welcome to the show. Vic, it's great to be here. Uh, I'm excited to have you on. I love the title of your book, Mr. Monkey and Me. Uh, this is uh, I know you have a lot of great stuff to discuss on mindset and entrepreneurship and all this stuff. So thanks for taking the time. Thanks for taking the space, sharing space with me to create this wonderful uh, episode that we're going to be having for the listeners here. It's great to be here. Thanks again for having me. So... I always like asking this question, you know, and I, and we were just talking about this and every time I interview someone, I always like to ask your story. how did you get into where you are? Uh, and, and I do this because again, for the listeners, they know that uh, I always share that, you know, life is not really this straight line most of the time. And it's more of this like pinball bounce around effect. And so I love when I interview people, cause this is the question I always like to start off with is how did you get into what you're doing today? What was the journey to get here? Yeah, well, it's uh, I love the pinball description because
1: that's very apt for my career, and also dumb luck uh, has played a, luck and serendipity has played a role too. I, I always like to call that out. But the short, the medium story is I was the first person uh, my college and my family to ever go to college. I talk about in this book. I grew up in a very impoverished situation where most of my role models were suffering from disease, divorce, a lot of alcoholism, not a lot of great role models. So early on, I just wanted to get out of Toledo, Ohio, where I grew up. And I was able to just get into college. I studied business in college. And my first job was a CPA. I studied accounting because I thought that would be a good way to learn business. And my very first job, it was one of those jobs that um Thirty-six hours into it, I think I realized, oh blank, what have I done here? I've, I've ended up in accounting, but it was a good framework for me. I learned business. I did that for a couple of years, then I went and worked on Wall Street for a couple of years, and then I went to business school at Northwestern, uh, and then I moved out to Silicon Valley in the late '90s. And I really, in, in I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. It was kind of my long, my my goal in life. And so there was no better time than in the late '90s in technology, watching just a a really magical time. By serendipity, I got to go work for two amazing entrepreneurs, uh, a gentleman named Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen. they become more famous now because they've got a great venture capital firm. Ben's written a couple of books, which I highly recommend for anyone uh, thinking about entrepreneurship. But anyways, I worked for them for two years. Uh, The company went from zero through IPO, and then I quit. I wanted to go run my own thing, so I raised a small pool of capital to look for a company to buy. Again, luck prevailed. I found a great business in downtown San Francisco. I bought the business with other people's money, so I raised some capital from outside sources. Uh, and then I ran that business for almost 13 years and took it from a, a small startup all the way through a publicly traded company. Uh, it was I, I ran it as a public company CEO for three and a half years. Uh, and then I retired. You know, quit, retired, fired, all kind of the same thing melded together. Uh, I became chairman of that company. And then I started a venture capital firm, which I do today. So I, I now co-manage a firm called Next Coast Ventures in Austin, Texas. And I've been doing that for the last five years. We've raised uh, almost a quarter billion dollars, and I've invested in over fifty different startups over the last five years.
0: That's amazing, and and what a, a pinball effect you have gone through. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's why I said I love when you said that. I was like,
1: oh, I love that term, and I think you know that's that's part of the the fabric of life that makes it interesting
0: for me. Gotcha. And and was there you know going through that you know to where you are at the moment um, in all that you do was it like you know, did you have any like questions in your mind was like frustrations that you went through or was it just like, okay, this is it. I'm moving over here. All right, that's it. And I'm going to go over here. Um, how was that journey from that perspective?
1: Yeah, no, it's it's so funny. If you put that on the spectrum, I would say it's like frustration the whole time. And I, I talk about this in the book. I, there's an old, uh, I get the comedian's name, but he used to do this. You might be, a, you know, you might be a redneck. If was it Jeff Foxworthy, I think, um, I, I joke about it. It's like, you know, you might be an entrepreneur if, if you're – and one of the features is, is you're kind of frustrated and you always feel in your mind maybe there's something more or you could be doing something different. And I've been both plagued and blessed by that, I guess, is the way I describe it. Um, I, I, early on, I felt like I wanted to do more, have more contribution, and that was a sometimes a negative emotion, but it really positively fueled me to try different things. And more than a couple of times when I, when I switched from accounting – when I went to work for uh, Mark and Ben at a company called Opsware, came with LoudCloud, became Opsware. And then when I started my venture capital firm, three different times I had to take a step back in my career when the logical step was you know, just progress forward. I actually went backwards in, in three different times uh, on purpose, but there was a lot of frustration and, oh, what have I done? Maybe four times, but it really served me well in rounding out my experience and, and getting me to where I am today.
0: I love that. That is so awesome. And how, how important is it for, um, I love to dive into this conversation a little bit. How important is it for mindset when it comes to these types of things? And we can talk about this in an entrepreneurial st- standpoint. We can talk about it just from your own journey, both, whatever, wherever you want that to go. But how important is it the mindset to play a role in all that? I, I sort. I mean, it's funny
1: because I've been I've been looking at this from my own life, and then now when I invest in entrepreneurs, and, and maybe it's just brought. I think it's broader in life, but trying to figure out, you know, there's multiple keys to success, and I'm not an expert on that. But the one thing that struck me is I see all the time great companies that have the same all the same resources, and one wins and one doesn't. It's kind of the impetus of writing the book, but I, I came down to mindset, and I really do think that all things being equal the mindset can be the critical difference between success and failure. And and in the book, I talk about it. The star of the book isn't me. It's this monkey, uh, which is my caricature or um, my manifestation of fear, uncertainty, and doubt and how you, how overcoming that and really coming in grips with it can be the critical difference between success and failure. Again, all things being equal.
0: Very interesting. And when it comes, when you're saying, so doubt, it, you had doubt in that perspective and that's one of the big factors that played a role in it all. Yeah, I was, pla- I mean, plagued still am. My
1: joke is, I feel like, the mon- <laughs> I feel like, you know, I feel like the monkey, right, right before we started the podcast, the monkey, uh, you know, ran out of my office and said, Hey, no, one's going to listen to this. Not because of Vic, because of you Mike, you know, so, so the monkey is always there. And, and I came to realize, realize now that it's just a voice. It's something you have to learn to address but the number of times, and I think the, the key was for me to start to personify this voice and start to address it because, heck, I've been plagued by it. You know, every time when you're, when you're at that, should I quit? There's going to be a voice, or should I start? Should I keep going? Should I quit? All these different phases of anything you do in your life, at least for me, and I think pretty much for everybody, there's a voice that says, yeah, you should quit. You should, you should give up. And I think the voice is, the, the tricky part is, it can sound like a diff- lot of different people in your life. The voice can change, but, and it can say different things to different people, but it's going to be something nagging telling you that you're not going to
0: achieve your goals. And, um, you know, that can be debilitating. I love how you, you though, you, I forgot to mention this, that you you call it a monkey because you gave it something um, and you made it yours. You made it, you gave it, I don't want to say a personality, it could be a personality, um, but you, you kind of coined it that way. Like I used to say, here goes stinking, stinking thinking is what I used to call it. I, 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 didn't, I didn't call it a monkey. I wish I did. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. I used to say, here comes stinking thinking. All right, what do you got to say now? Let me listen. Let me hear what you have to say. Um, but I think it's one of the things where, you know, that inner critic, that inner battle
1: yeah, and that's absolutely.
0: what, it, and they, yeah. that's what that's what the monkey is, correct?
1: That's what the monkey is. And I'm, listen, I'm not a I'm not a motivational speaker. I don't do this as a day job, so I'm not I'm not one to be on this. You know, just think great thoughts. More, more, it's trying to get to what is the monkey telling you? What does that voice say? Because I, I think the weird thing is, you know, there's this positive self esteem movement that says just think positive thoughts. I, I'm not I'm not there. What I'm I'm more of the mindset that says there is a voice in your head telling you something. That voice actually may have some very uh, real points. And it may be something you should listen to, but just don't become enslaved by it. That, that to me is the key message that I'm trying to get across. is certainly for entrepreneurs, wherever they are in their journey.
0: I agree. I agree 100% with you too, because you know, sometimes in the motivational world, they're always like about that. And it's like, hey, you know, grass is great, but you know, there's weeds there too. Don't ignore them and know how to work with them.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes the weeds can be, can be a, a sign of something. But but mine, the, the funny part for me was, and I tell you stories in the book, it's like, I just had to personify it because I'm going to get my first talk. Uh, I, I bought this small company and I'm walking in and I'm walking over to the place that we had rented to tell, to, to give the opening speech. And literally I have these thoughts in my head, like, what are you doing? And it's imposter syndrome. You know, you're not worthy. You don't, you don't know what you're doing. You've never run anything before. And then I you know, tell the story of like, it was like a monkey was like jumping up in front of me and I had to say, okay. Appreciate that. Appreciate what you're telling me. And then turning that into motivation and and letting it help motivate me to do a great job. That's a good thing. But had I just completely succumbed to the thing, you know, I would have gotten up and stumbled
0: everyone, stumbled all of my words and, and not motivated anybody. Oh, that's so true. I love that because there's a quote that I, I love and I live by it. It's from Lao Tzu, uh, the, the 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 creator of I, I, Ching, I Ching. I always mess that up. But long story short, he talks about how to, um, to master others is strength, but to master yourself is true power. And I think that's what we're talking about with the monkey. When you know how to master it, it's going to keep talking. It's still going to do that. And I think one of the things I like to use, you ever watch the movie, The Beautiful Mind? Absolutely love that movie. I think this is one of the things, would you agree then that the monkey, right, is huge in the beginning of life and as you keep working with it, you know, and so forth, it never goes away, but it just gets smaller? Well, it's, it's interesting, Vic. I
1: actually don't think, that, so that's a great, it's a great debate and, and I think there's probably, there's no right answer on it, but in my mind, the monkey actually got, the monkey keeps getting different. And so an example I would use is early on, I thought if I achieve, Know, again, come dirt poor. No one else around my is educated. So I'm thinking, my first job. If I get to this, then then everything will be better. And then I, I'm an entrepreneur, and I think, well, if I achieve this, then that'll that'll put this voice, this monkey aside. Um, what I found is a that isn't true, and b the monkey's voice kind of changed. And so you know, I'm writing a book now. The monkey's saying, Ah, oh, what do you know about writing a book, right? So I think that the point is, at least for me, <laughs> uh, he kind of gets craftier and and different and more subtle than the voice that i had when i was younger uh, but it's still there and i think through some self-mastery and appreciation and meditation and therapy uh the voice has probably gotten a little bit smaller but still there for me
0: i like how you put it that way because it is true it does change like i i remember studying like a warren buffett and these other guys and i was like you know when i I, my old programming was they're billionaires they got no money issues they're fine They're, they're they're set for life their great grandkids are set for life and then I started studying their life and I started to see that, no, they still do. It's just different. Yep. Yep. It, uh, it's just, you know, the different challenges and stuff. And so I love when you were bringing that up. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. And I think that,
1: you know, as you get, as you progress through your life, wherever stage your life is appreciating, I see so many people as they get, you know, in the middle age and I think they start to give up and now oh, I'm never going to do this, never do that. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I'm I'm in that category now, but I watch some people start to give up. And I think a lot of it's because comparison, I love this quote comparison is the thief of joy because when you start to compare yourself to other people and look at other well, I'm not that person I haven't done that then you just start to give up and that's
0: you know that's the monkey winning so true in so many ways so how can then people like for example let's say uh, for an entrepreneur who's who started out, or you know, and so, so forth, or they've been in business for quite some time, and they're looking to you know level up in some way, shape, or form, how can people gain like you know courage, stamina, motivation, inspiration, whatever the word may be, to pursue how to achieve um, uh, a certain idea, a certain level they want to get to, but more importantly, then stay there. Yeah. So,
1: and I think to stay there is equally is important. You know, uh, just stepping back a little bit, the reason I wrote the book for the to answer your question a little, more, a little more along the way, I wrote the book because I got sick of the content I saw for entrepreneurs, and it kind of fell into two categories. It fell into the uh, kind of the hack category. If you know this type of genre, it's usually short blog post, and it'll say, "Here's the." You know, five things that Jeff Bezos does every day before 5 a.m. Well, Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the world. <laughs> you know, it, it really doesn't help you and I as we're we're starting our our small business or or on our entrepreneur journey. So there's that category, and to me, that's like eating junk food when you're really hungry. You know, it doesn't doesn't really satisfy your appetite, makes you feel disgusted afterwards, and, and probably feel like, well, shit. I excuse me, shoot, I don't do that before 5 a.m. You can, delete out that bad word, sorry. Um, and then the other category of content was really uh, very tactical. Here's how to write a business plan. Here's how to um, form a corporation. But nothing really talked to what you're getting at, which is how do I get the right mental framework to continue to, to get started, to keep going, and if I'm successful, to not completely screw up. So that's why I wrote the book. And then what I wanted to do rather than just have a bunch of lofty, words, I really broke it down into five a five-letter acronym, acronym and then tried to give practical, specific advice at the end of each chapter. So I came up with a shape formula largely based on what I saw from myself, what I'd done wrong, and then what I'd really more importantly seen from either my time working for guys like Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen or now as an entrepreneur or as an investor, what I've seen the attributes that great entrepreneurs do and, and brought that together in a formula.
0: I love that. And I think that's very critical to have in so many ways, as you already know this, to help them get through that and push through that. How much does, again, just coming back to that mindset side, how much does that play help with the whole idea of pushing forth with that, with the formula and everything else to get to that area, to get to that level and then stay on track too? any, any cues or tips or tricks or anything like that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, first of all, when it comes to business,
1: you still have to have a, a good idea. I don't, I don't want to, when I talk about this, I, I sometimes fail to mention that, hey, if you have a really bad idea, you know, mindset may not help. And so I, I want to make sure that's understood. Secondarily, I think there's way too much glorification around entrepreneurship. It's hard. That's my key message. It's going to be hard, so expect it. But then really the, the formula, which is uh, SHAPE, which stands for self-awareness, H is for help, A is for authenticity, P is for persistence, and E is for expectations. Again, tries to give really specific tips for each one of those. I don't know if you're ever going to master it. I certainly haven't, but just things like I found very practically meditation really helped me with uh, being authentic, having expectations that there was no going to be perfect day, things like that that I bring forward. And then also areas where forums are the way where you can get some help. I tried to bring those together very specific so that the reader can say, okay, that's something I can act upon versus a you know lofty topic that sounds great, but really hard to implement. I like that. And how much, so do you, do you practice meditation daily? I do. I do. I start, uh, I wish I joke, I I apologize to all the people that used to work for me because certainly early on in my career, I was uh, yeah, admittedly, I was short-tempered. I was very aggressive and at time lashed out at those that worked for me. And I'm embarrassed by that, but you know, it, it happened. But I, I really found certainly today, if I don't start my day in a pragmatic way, today I got up at 5.30, I meditate for 15, 20 minutes, then I work out, then I begin my day. Every day that I do that, I'm just in a much better mental framework. And when I don't do that, I, I notice everything's kind of off. So I, I try and do that as regularly as I can.
0: And just I'm and how long have you been meditating for? Probably about six years. Awesome. What is the biggest? And I'm just curious because we talk a lot about meditation in, in on the podcast and also in my coaching and all this other stuff I do. Uh, how um what was I gonna ask now? What is the biggest thing that you said it just keeps you on your game and it keeps you more centered? Is the biggest thing probably then?
1: Yeah, it does two, two things for me. Well, multiple things for me and, and certainly I don't do it every day. I wish I, you know, the times I don't, for whatever reason, life happens. But I think for me, it does two things. One, it's just a, a centering way to begin the day. Okay. What am I, and for me, it's more around what I want to accomplish, what I want to, how do I want to show up in the world? And then the second thing it does, which I notice is a secondary benefit, not an obvious one was just by doing some breathing. I do a little bit of a breathing around my meditation later on in the day. Because I always find it funny, right? You, you, you set up your day. Here's what I want to do. And then traffic or kids, whatever. Something happens, right? <laughs> Life happens. So how do you stay in the mindset? And I'm certainly not perfect at this, but I just find that I'm able to take a deep breath and usually stay a little more centered. So that's a secondary benefit for me.
0: I love it. Yeah, and the cool thing is I've been meditating for about 14 years now, 14, yeah, roughly. Um, and it's one of the things where it's funny how Less reactive we are, and more centered we are, and but also more focused and more clarity we have in our day, in our life, and what we do. Yeah, so, I mean, how, and how did you start, Vic? What was the what was the impetus for you to be in meditating? Uh, Great question. Uh, For me, it was I started I was going into chiropractic school. And while I was in chiropractic school, I was studying uh, energy medicine, because I want to understand like the depth of healing, the fabric of healing and how the body works and, and all this stuff. And for some reason, I was being pulled that way. And it was just a matter of when I started my spiritual teacher, she talked about meditation and, and how to just calm and center the mind and um, how it'll have benefits and effects for um, for me from a neurological standpoint, which I needed to know that because at that time I was going through chiropractic school, I'm learning about the brain. So I was like, I need stuff that connects. I just don't take one way. I want to see how it plays on all areas of life. And it was just from that moment, so I started practicing meditation. I didn't do it daily. I should have did it daily back then. Um, I didn't, um, but I, I was practicing it here and there. And I just started dabbing into it from time to time. And, and it was just this beautiful. I started getting into this like beautiful bliss state when I would go into some of them, and I was just like this is awesome. Like my, my, my stress has decri- decreased. I could see things from a different perspective. Um, and from that moment, that's what kind of inspired me to be like, I'm going to continue practicing this. And then of course, as I studied entrepreneurs and millionaires and billionaires, I wanted to know, I was like looking for the clues of success. And I found out a lot of them had a morning ritual of some sort. And one of them, an 80 something percent of them had meditation involved. Yeah. And so that was like more fuel to the fire where I was like, okay, I got to do this more often. And so I've been practicing that since and I've been meditating now, I I did three and a half years straight every day. And then I started messing up this summer and I was like, son of a God, three and a half years. I've been doing it every day. Um, But it's okay. Start back and I'm like, all right, just get back on the wheel. Or, you know, it's like falling off a bike. All right, get back on the bike and uh, I'll continue to do every day again and just continue to move forward. Yeah. It's, it's staggering. It's a great story.
1: It's staggering for me because I I stumbled across it similar. I mean, it might've been like Tim Ferriss or something seven or eight years ago or something like similar. Yeah. yeah, Similar uh, assessment that, that the morning routine, how prominent it is for really successful people. So I tried it as well. And I've come to, you know, I would never, I've begun to, I've got four children. I started talking to them about it because I really think it's like, why isn't this taught in schools? I mean, it's such an obvious thing that you say mental the, the physical, all the spiritual, all these aspects come out of it, and I'm kind of staggering that it's not more widespread for uh, for young people.
0: Well, like the Dalai Lama said, he said that if, if we can teach the children, eight-year-olds today, how to meditate, within one generation, we can decrease or even end, uh, what was it, violence or... Um... I think it was violence, uh, in the world because of what it does. And, and, and of course I love hearing quotes like that, but I'm this type, I'm more of this like why guy. So I'm like, all right, that's great. Cool. But why, Where where are the cues that tells us that? And so my background in chiropractic has really helped me out a lot because I understand the brain very well. And I'm like, well, that makes sense. Meditation builds up the prefrontal cortex. When you build up the prefrontal cortex, you're more human in a sense, as how I call it. Um, But it's just you you have more human attributes. You don't react as much. You're more centered. You actually feel a certain way or think a certain way. And uh, what ends up happening is you can project to see how that's going to affect your life and others. And you become more compassionate for others rather than where most people are right now is the amygdala part of the brain, which is the stress, fear, worry, anxiety, impulse behavior, um, just being reactive in many states where this is where you look at where we are in the world, especially with COVID came and come around and lockdowns and all these other things. uh, You see a lot more of that.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating. Wow. That's really, really
0: cool. Yeah. So meditation, that's why I'm always curious because I just, you know, as we interview more people, they're always talking about, I meditate. This is one thing that's been the biggest thing for me. And and it's something I try to advocate on the podcast. And then with people I work with, I'm always like, meditation is a huge thing that uh, can massively help change your life. And I know you, you're you you're one that has experienced that also. Yeah.
1: I, I, as I said earlier, I just wish I would have done it when I was a, an entrepreneur, when I was a CEO, because <laughs> I think I might, have, I, might have, uh, I might have broken as much glass uh, as I did.
0: I wish I did it when I was a teenager. I would have had less anger, less frustration, and I would have been a lot happier. I mean, I was a happy kid from the outside, but not in the inside. And uh, I wish I knew it back then. But, you know, it's life, right? You 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 learn as you go. Yep, hopefully. Hopefully, that's, <laughs> that's the goal. <laughs> and I think that's kind of like an entrepreneurial way too, right? Because you learn, you know, I, I always, uh, I share this a lot too with when it comes like that. I'm not going to get into the whole education system, but I talk about how life works and life is all about you go do something, and then you learn from that. Where school is, you learn, and then you go get tested. I'm sorry, you take the test with life, and then you learn what you made mistakes on and how to grow to get better. Where school system is, you learn something, and then you go take the test. Yeah, entrepreneurship. Where is that at? Well, you know, it's it's such a that's a great lead in
1: because one of the things I find in terms of the you know leading into like what, what the mental mindset, but I think sometimes. Entrepreneurs, And even if you're running a, and I, I want to write the book for someone who's running a small business all the way up to large business. But I think one of the misconceptions I made certainly was that I had to know it all. And it, it kind of leads to that, what you're talking about education and how you learn and grow and evolve. But early on in my career, I thought I need to know everything. I'm, I'm the, I'm the boss, right? I, I run the place. So that must mean that I have all the answers. And it really was um, early on that I got, and it's why the H came into this was, one of a legendary legendary coaches, business coaches in Silicon Valley, a guy named Bill Campbell, who died a few years ago. Just This guy was the go-to coach for Steve Jobs at Apple, the founders of Google and founders of Twitter. I mean, he was a legend and I happened to fortunately know him. I remember one time early in my career, I was just frustrated. I, did, I was having trouble with a certain role, hiring a head of sales and had messed it up a couple of times and felt like my board was getting ready to fire me. And I went to see him and, and have a beer at a bar down in Palo Alto, California when I was living there. And I sat down with Bill, and this guy's an old football coach, gruff guy, you know, old school football coach guy, turned business executive. And he used a bunch of explicatives while trying to avoid, but he said, Smart you know, why don't you have a coach? I said, Well, don't even have a coach. I don't have time for a coach. i I got all this other stuff to do. And he's like, Well, Steve Jobs has a coach, Tiger Woods has a coach. Why wouldn't you have someone helping you with the problems you're facing. And it was really interesting to your point in education because I never thought of it. It's like, well, gosh, so it's okay if I don't know everything? It's okay if I don't have all the answers? And he's like, well, heck yeah, no one does. And so that really was a, to your point around how you learn and how you evolve. What really taught me was once everything you want to do, someone somewhere has already done it. But secondarily, it's okay not to have all the answers. And third, you actually show up as a better leader when you kind of admit that. So I learned this, not superpower, but going to even to my team and saying, I don't know the answer to that, where can we find out more, really changed my, how I showed up as a leader and I think helped me be more successful an entrepreneur. So that's an interesting, maybe perhaps tangent, but I think to your point around getting, educating, learning and evolving, it's absolutely critical for entrepreneurship. But I think a lot of people feel like it's just the opposite, which is a real, a real trap.
0: Yeah. And I fell in that trap and it was like, think of the same thing. I need to know everything. When I started my chiropractic business, it was like, I'm the doctor. Uh, I have to make sure that I know everything that they're coming with. I want to make sure I'm knowledgeable as much as I can be. And then there, there came a point where I was just like, you know what? There's sometimes I'm not going to know everything and that's okay, but I'm not. But then I started to use the framework of like, but I'm. I can always find out. I'll figure it out. I'll. I'll be able to help, or I have you know, and I have a coach help me in other ways too, um, to make sure that I'm being the best best person I can be for my patients, and then also in the mindset world and all that. And I think it's critical. And you bring this up, and I've had people bring this up before about the importance of having a coach. And it's it's one of the things where they pick out your blind spots, don't they? Yeah, they really do. And I mean, what you just described as a doctor, which I think is a,
1: uh, it's kind of a growth mindset. It's great for everything. But it really starts with self-awareness and kind of knowing that to your point, when you're thinking about doctor, the self-awareness and maybe self-confidence with self-awareness say, I don't know everything and where are the areas that I need to expand my skill set or my knowledge base and then go seek it. If If you can take that lens on life, certainly with business,
0: I think the chances of success go up dramatically and you mentioned something like the growth mindset which i think is hugely critical in how to get to that success too because it's like um, i always kind of explain it like if you have a you know a fixed mindset or you you do think you know it all right and uh, a lot of my 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 opening to this came from studying like spiritual laws and universal laws and all that and like quantum physics and like looking at how much do you really know Uh, of all the information that exists in the world. If you want to be humbled, that will humble you so quick. (laughs) And so from that moment, when I really looked at the numbers and looked at the science of all the vast information that's out there, and then how much can the mind only comprehend and take? I was like, okay, never going to know much of anything ever again. I barely know anything as it is. Um, I know enough, but I'm like, wow, there's so much out there. And so it's like, it's, it's one of those things where for me, at least it was very humbling to know, like, I only know 0.000, 000 some percent of the vast of information that exists. Yeah. That's, that is a
1: humbling, humbling perspective, uh, but a healthy one if you think about it the right way.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I do have one question for you because you've, you've helped scale some businesses and I want I'm curious to know, like, you know, how, you know how you bought and you scaled one of the businesses to become a, almost a billion dollars in value. That's awesome. How is it, is, you know, I've heard this a lot in topics about businesses and you got to make sure how to scale and how to get to certain levels. Is there, is there, I want to say mindset, but is there, <clears throat> um, is there different perspectives or different mindsets in scaling and in growth when it comes to a business and looking at it to how to scale properly?
1: Yeah. It's, it's one of those terms when you say that and you say, Hey, you need to scale the business. It's a little bit like, uh, someone telling you, Hey, you should, take care of your body. You're like, well, how, what should I do? And, and I think that one of the, I'll answer the question, but one of the most, ob- one of the most interesting things I've found moving from being a, an entrepreneur to now an investor is there's no one size fit all. I actually had this belief that there was certain attributes of entrepreneurs that were universal, successful entrepreneurs, and it's simply not true. There's extroverts, there's introverts, there's technical, non-technical folks. But I think therein lies the answer to your question What I think is a critical aspect for scaling any business is for the leader or entrepreneur to understand where he or she is really good and where they need to supplement their skills. Because I think the number one mistake that people make, again, back to this, I need to know everything or I need to be great at everything. It's a real risk. And where businesses scale is by bringing in functional leaders that are as good or better as than, than when myself, when I figured, finally figured it out, I was like, wait a minute, I need to get someone who's much, much better at marketing and sales and finance and, and go on down the list. That's when the business really started to scale. Early on, I kind of felt like, well, you know, again, back to this imposter syndrome or entrepreneur mindset, like I need to know everything or be good at everything. Um, that was a limiting belief. And so the more I think to answer your question, I think the best way to think about scale is what are you good at? What are you not good at? Where do you, and what does the business need? If you can do those two simple exercises, real simple graph, even starting off, what what are you as a leader good at? What are you not good at? What do you like to do, not like to do? And then compare that to where the five things that are really going to drive the business to the next level, those two simple exercises can be incredibly powerful. And so you may say, "I'm in in my medical practice, I need to do X, Y, and Z. I don't like to do Z. All right, so I can go hire someone to do Z for me. And that can make all the difference in scale. Again, very simple exercise, but often overlooked when, when, folk, when businesses are just getting going or really starting to hit that critical inflection point.
0: And that would be just delegating things you don't like to do, right? It's, it's, put it in it's a different frame. Yeah, or... I, think, I, th- I think it's a little more than
1: that. I mean, there certainly is that delegation, but I think it's just being, if you can lay out the five things, five's an arbitrary number, but the four or five things that you need to do to take your business to the next level, and then really be critical around, do we, either me as a leader or the organization, do we have the right person to achieve those things? And again, it seems really simple, but it's not just delegation, but if your business isn't getting as many customers as you want, and therefore maybe marketing is the issue, having the wherewithal to say, okay, is there someone in this organization who really understands marketing and who's the best in the world at it? If you can take that challenge, you'll typically find, no, we don't. Okay, let's go find that person
0: and that can be the difference between scaling and not scaling. That makes perfect sense. And as being an investor, so you invest in entrepreneurs, correct? Yes. I just wanna make sure I had that right. Um, what are the things you look for in an entrepreneur? Are there traits? Um, is it the business? Is that, I'm assuming the idea plays a role also too. Um, but you know, I always heard the story, like an investor will always look at, you know, there's the idea, but then they're also investing in the person. Um, are there traits or things you look for in an entrepreneur that you makes you be like yes this is worth investing into?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, at Nexcos Ventures, we we have a, we're very open about it. We're thematic investors again, headquartered in Austin, Texas, so we're investing in technology companies, but we're typically looking at first and foremost you want to understand how big the market is if you're going to take money from a venture capitalist, the critical question is, is how big is the market you're addressing? Uh, And then the second question is, is is your solution differentiated? Is there some way that you're going to provide more value to the customers? Those are pretty easy to do and can be done um, in a simple analytical framework. But the real critical, where we spend the bulk of our time, 90% of our time, and probably 90% of our decisions goes around the entrepreneur. And we use this uh, kind of a weird concept, but we call it glass eater. Is she a glass eater? And what we mean by that is, within legal and ethical boundaries, because that's, that's an absolute no-fly zone for us, um, but within the, those boundaries, will she, as the entrepreneur, do everything she can to make the business successful? And we want our entrepreneurs to have a balance and not be, you know, I, I don't celebrate entrepreneurs that work 100 hours a week. I, there is a critical importance of balance I talk about in the book, but really it's a mindset. Does she have the passion, the energy, and the drive to take the business to the next level. Cause it's really hard. And so to your point, yes, we do. And I think that that ends up being 90% of the time. That's what, why we invest or don't invest is
0: around the entrepreneur. I literally thought you were going to give them a cup of glass and be like, here you go. Are you a glass eater? Let's go. You well, got to learn how that's to chew. We,
1: yeah. That's, yeah we, we, you know, we, I say, but, you know, we do give, we do give ketchup and mustard, but at the end of the day, and <laughs> I, I think, know you know, the interesting thing about that Vic, is it's not a, it's such a visceral horrible description, but I think it also anyone who's thinking about going in to start a business and it can be your own small business or, or trying to run a large scale business if you go into it expecting it to be easy, you're going to be, it's going to be a short run and you're going to be massively disappointed. So part of that glass eating is, do you really know what you're getting into? Do you understand that things are going to come at you that you don't expect? Another one of my, we've talked about some really great leaders. One of my, my other favorite quotes is from Mike Tyson, the former heavyweight champion, uh, boxing champion, who said, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth which is a good, probably describes 2020 pretty adept for all of us. But you know, just something is gonna come at you, you don't expect. And so do you have the wherewithal, the mental toughness and the you know, stick-to-itiveness, if you will, to, to
0: fight through? Yeah, I think a lot of people got literally hit by Mike Tyson today of this year in the mouth. Uh, (laughs) I think
1: a couple of, you know, and then then you got up and you thought the fight was over and then, you know, he hit you again. Yeah, it
0: certainly has been a heck of a year. I'll tell you. Um, But no, I do like the glass glass eating analogy because it's, and this is just how my mind goes. It's like one of the things where you're looking like, okay, well, this is it. This is going to be tough. It's going to be hard. Figure out how to get that in without hurting yourself. Figure out how to do it in a certain way where you can, you know, I know I'm getting a little maybe grim for some of the listeners, but it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's not going to be. And I was one of the ones that was like, it's easy. We'll figure it out. We'll make it work. And then you hit these walls and then it was getting more frustration, more aggravation until I said, you know what, this is going to be a challenge and I'm going to have to figure this out one way or another. May it be Mike Tyson knocking me on my back or may it be who knows who um, yeah. from that matter.
1: Yeah. And that's, I mean, that gives that the comparison we talked about earlier or some of the short form content that makes it seem easy. Um, you yeah, I, I, I give another example in the book about running a marathon. If you've ever, if, if a friend came to you and said, hey, Vic, you want to run a marathon? You wouldn't say sure and put on your shoes and grab some Gatorade and go run 26 miles. You would probably make it. I don't know what shape you're in, but no one could just jump off the couch and do that. So you would say, no, here's a training program. Here's what you're going to have to do. It's going to be four to five months and et cetera, et cetera. I just think in anything in life, having the right mindset and having someone say, here's what it is and understand it's going to be challenging. That's a much better way to get into something versus uh, assuming it's going to be easy or that it's going to be all up and up and to the right, so to speak.
0: Yeah, I think it's the importance of pre-framing the mind and all that. I think that plays a huge role in all that. Um, Mike I have one question. Anytime that someone writes a book, I like to ask this question if I get the chance. And that is when you wrote the book, who did you write it for? Yeah, it's uh, well, my other joke is about like everything else. If I knew how tough
1: to write a book was, I probably wouldn't have done it, but I really, I, I personified, I thought about, so I was raised by a single mother. She was a dental hygienist. Um, she remarried. I saw them. I saw she and my stepfather struggle massively to try and run a business on the side and, and, uh, and, candidly, just never really be successful. So I really wrote it for that. I wrote it for the person who wanted to, who was interested in entrepreneurship, didn't have the right framework or or mindset to it in the hope that it would help one person. Literally, I I had this one person that said, if you're thinking about entrepreneurship and you've got an idea and you feel like it's your life calling, it's not for everybody, that maybe this book would help you get out of the shower and go pursue your your dreams, but do it with the right expectations. That's what I wrote the book for.
0: I love that. That's awesome. And Mike, really quick, how can people connect with you, follow you, see what you're up to, learn about all that you do and so much more and get access yeah, great to the book well. too? Sorry.
1: Yeah. So the book, Mr. Monkey Me is available on Amazon uh, primarily. And then for any of my content, it's com. So that's S-M-E-R-K-L-O.com. At that website, I've got a bunch of blog posts I write about the mental aspect of entrepreneurship. There's a quiz you can take, kind of a fun quiz, really simple to to see where you are on on the mental side of it for entrepreneurship. And then there's a free chapter of the book you can download to see if it's of interest to you. I'd also mention that all the proceeds of the book go to charity, a scholarship set up for uh, students from diverse or underrepresented backgrounds who are interested in entrepreneurship. That's where all the proceeds go. And then my social handle is, uh, is Mike Smirklow uh, under all the major socials, so.
0: Awesome. Listeners, that will all be in the show notes. And Mike, I love how you're helping out uh, individuals to get into entrepreneurship with the proceeds. That's amazing. Um, I may do that on my next book. Now you gave me an idea. I'll pay it forward that way. Um, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you taking space and sharing this wonderful information that you have and all the work that you're doing. And um, yeah, I, I just appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Vic. Great, great
1: questions. I really enjoyed it and uh, appreciate your podcast as well. It's really awesome. And and thanks for having me.
0: Thanks, brother. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For past shows, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. I hope this show inspired you and added to your life to help you on the journey to rediscover who you really are. To connect with us on Facebook, please visit www.facebook.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. Check us out on Twitter. The handle is Dr. Vic 21. Follow us on Instagram, .instagram www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. Thank you again for listening to the Mindful Experiment podcast, sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential.